0: Hello there, everyone. You're listening to This Is Fine, a podcast where I, Ivor, your wonderful host, talks about life events and issues of interest in the sphere of mental health. So I do this because I know I would have appreciated lessons from other people, you know, just to help you live a little better, you know um there's no guidebook for how to live life and we we learn best from people who've had some experiences and we learn from people who are either older than us or younger than us we learn everywhere if you're willing to look for the lessons and you know these days the times are always trying and i just think that you know that's why we have to always try so thank you for listening and let's jump straight into my topic today so Recently, I've been faced with conversations where, you know, the topic goes to something that makes me super defensive. And I've been trying to figure out why. And this is where Introspection is Welcome to the Stage, is talking about, like, why am I getting super, like, defensive, like, insecure about something. And it's been occupying my brain power for a while now. And it's kind of intertwined in my mind, you know, as things are in your mind. One of which is like, why the fuck am I so intense? My heartbeat would beat me senselessly if it could. You know, in fact, it does sometimes where I can't say anything, like an argument or where my brain flushes my body with dopamine at the meeting of, of, of minds and our bodies, or maybe it's bodies and then minds. Anyway, so this hormonal dump or expression in your brain is labeled as like infatuation, Uh, Affection, love, whatever. The point is that if it's something I like, don't like, I really don't like it. Or if it's something I do like, I really, really, you know, do like it. And I can become borderline obsessive. And I know that there are people out there who are the same because I am, as much as I like to think that I'm a unique cookie, I'm not. There's like a lot of people who are exactly like I am. Anyway, so I really like, fucking enjoy talking to people about issues of the mind, the way the brain functions, what emotions are, how to deal with them. And I'm low-key obsessed with it. Like, I read up about it, I think about it, I theorize. I get annoyed at me saying, I, 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 because I know so much about the things that I've understood or felt or studied by myself. But one thing that is, like, very much factual, the fact of the matter, there's no debate, no opinion, is that if you want something bad enough, if you want to understand something, if you want to be able to do something to the to a level where you enter the flow state in that stream of consciousness where your body and mind have become one and there is like no thought or it's not that there is no thought, it's that the thought and the action come as one. And in that space, there is this unbelievable, like near addicting level of clarity and peace. You almost like don't, you're almost like not aware of it until you then leave it. So this happens um, very frequently when I meditate, which is the point of meditation, is to get you into that flow state. Um, It used to happen a lot when i did rock climbing because you are forced to pay attention to all your moves and you know because if you're on the face of a rock you could fall down and die anyway um this happens sometimes in the gym if i'm not distracted by a guy that has like tree trunks parading around in shorts on leg day um and this flow state happens sometimes when I write and I think it may have happened once when I'm in front of this microphone and like you're so in the zone that all other perception gets muted and and that's when you experience time as I don't know what I think it truly is like it's nothing like psychological time clock time it doesn't matter I think that a level of Obsessiveness focus is necessary if you want to add value to someone else's life in the best way that you can. Not someone else, but the best way that you feel, whatever gifts or whatever way that you can provide for for the betterment of someone else's life. I'm not saying monetarily, it can just be a kind word, but I liken this 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 flow state, this feeling Um, the specific feeling to like three guiding set of beliefs that I've extracted. Yes, from you guessed it, Miss Oprah Winfrey and um, Dr. Maya Angelou. Um, And you've heard me say these before, and I will keep saying it. The reason is that repetition, the brain loves repetition and repetition is necessary because it doesn't always sink in the first time. You may not be at a crossroads in your life where it makes sense. You may not understand it the first time. So it took me many, 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 many times reading it, hearing it, saying it, telling it to other people, giving advice, but not really understanding it or the levels of it. So the first one, Ms. Winfrey says, when you are excellent, you become unforgettable. I'll say that again when you are excellent, you become unforgettable. And this is not to compare yourself with other people, be it celebrities or someone that you admire and try to be excellent in that manner. It says when you are excellent, so whatever you are doing in whatever space job that you are occupying, be excellent there and you become unforgettable. And if you can train your mind, if you can train your habits along that little guiding principle, you can carry that on to other parts of your life and it will almost become automatic because you read something enough and it becomes part of you. And I combine that with the late Dr. Maya Angelou's words, people will forget what you did, people will forget what you say, But people will never forget how you made them feel. I could go on for centuries (laughs) about people never forgetting how you made them feel. And this podcast is basically that. (laughs) Um, But the last one lesson that I want to combine in this trinity of lessons is that whole thing about moderation. You know, I have found... That I've used that saying, everything in moderation, as an excuse to not do what my future self would be proud of. And then I conveniently forget, you know, the last part of the saying that says, everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> do you want to be moderately healthy? Do you want to feel moderately good when you wake up in the morning? I don't want to feel moderately happy when I look at my naked self in the mirror. I want to feel over the fucking top, Yas, Queen, joyous, happy at my effort. You know, and I get that it's exhausting to try so hard all the time. But every time that you don't break from trying, you can just do a little bit better. You can just go a little bit farther. And that is you being excellent. All right, so I don't know where this whole Grey's Anatomy soapbox, twelve-inch monologue came from, but I it probably was triggered by this insecurity that I'm going to discuss. So very recently, I've been asked like three times now um, if I have anyone special in my life, someone to lean on. And let me tell you, okay, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. I am all the special that I need because, darling, I can make the bad guys good for a weekend. (laughs) That was so lame. I've also experienced that trust is like the easiest and most dangerous thing to give away. So while the social conditioning has me wanting exactly that, wanting to fulfill, like wanting to be able to answer in the affirmative when someone asks me, do you have anyone special in your life, is that... Of course, I want that because I see that around me all the time. Of course, I want that because everyone on Grinder is fucking everyone else except their own boyfriends. Of course, I want that because yes, I would be lying if I don't admit that it's it will be nice to have someone that you can lean on. Like, see how like low-key defensive and stuttery and <laughs> like impassioned I get? It's because it's an insecurity. Um, that is, like, deeply activated. So I'm kind of, like, exploring that. Like, I didn't expect this, but here we go, exploring my introspection either, yes. Um, So I got to thinking why I get so defensive. And I have to say that, as I said, it's hard to admit, but being with somebody to to lean on would be nice when grief paces around my heart like a ghost screaming in echoes. Like, it would be nice to have someone that is motivating in times when I need the motivation or is nurturing in times when I need the guidance or to work on goals together. Um, and, and for me to laugh, throw my head back laughing like I'm a little kid, you know, like that type of inhibition or that level of inhibition that you can experience with someone that you know very closely and intimately. But ultimately, those needs are kind of fleeting because for a long time I have understood the danger in attaching value to another person in that way. I'm not saying don't engage in in a loving, respectful, kind um, relationship. What I'm saying is that if we're not vigilant, that we tend to draw our human value from a partner, from other people. Because like when that person goes away and they will go away, and I'm not being a pessimist here, I'm just being very realistic, they will go away through growth, you will go away, you will change, they can change, someone will cheat, someone will make a different decision, or death will change, will will take them away. So when they leave, they, they eventually will leave and they take that value that you've defined yourself by, they take that value with them. So... Until I can fully embody my value as a person through my own actions and my th- own peace. So until I run into someone who doesn't define their value by me and me also defining my value through them, then th- that's not my M.O. And I, I know that the more hyper, like existential, intense, passionate obsessive, you know, I'm I'm less likely to bump uglies with someone who gets me or whom I get. Because, you know, the more focused you are, the more specific you are, you kind of make the pool of people with whom you interact very small. At least that's been my experience. Now, I'm talking about this because all of the things I said are part of a belief system that I have crafted through the years of experience. And I've had, you know, many an experience. And here's where the topic of the episode comes in. It's sort of like limiting beliefs and identity. This is the sphere at which I want to dance around, okay? Um, Limiting beliefs are kind of like self-explanatory. I'd like to break down and just like remind myself that a belief is nothing more than a thought you keep thinking. It's just a repetitive thought. It's not true. It's not false. It's just a repetitive thought. And they can be changed so we do have repetitive thoughts that limit us in our potential, that limit us in our relationship, that limit us in our job, that limit us in, our, in achieving a state of mental clarity or mental peace. And um, limited beliefs, then I think I would be so brave as to say that it also leads to limited identity. Now, before i get into limited identity i need a little bit of story time so you know take off your clothes and enjoy the story many a queer moon ago before i was as fabulously confident as i am right now where i am able to embody charm uniqueness nerve and talent You know i had just started living in south africa now just for some reference my family all live in namibia which is like southwest africa like geographically it's southwest africa and it was also known as southwest africa before namibia gained independence and became namibia now under the berlin convention exactly like 100 years before i was born like i think it's 100 years and like three months before i was born or after, before, <laughs> after, <laughs> before I was born. So a 100 years before I was born, some white men came together in a room and drew some random lines on a map of Africa and then decided to bring their disease and their religion and their alabasterness to Africa. The Germans got what is now known as Namibia. And here we are with me, with some German blood running through half of me, Which half, you ask? The top half, because the bottom half is all African, darling. Anyway, (laughs) I digress. Um, I'm trying to get to the point is that my mother had a German boyfriend because, well, Namibia still has a very um, wealthy German population. And I mean wealthy as in it's a lot of them. And then also they're also wealthy because white and the German men's honey, do they love the women the women of melanin the women of color they love the women of color now this man moved to South Africa a while before I moved there and like I think a couple of years before, before that him and my mother had broken up but he was still like a family friend and um, then once I had moved to South Africa for college um i visited with him twice i think i can't remember very clearly i, I visited once or twice um and loki this man was a spy Tee he he scandal like he was a spy and according to rumor he was found you know taken care of i don't know exactly what country i don't know at all and if i did know i'd probably be dead um anyway does saying this mean anything Am I am am I gonna be sleeping with the fishes soon? I don't know. I shouldn't speak these things. This man was very fond of me, as many adults were when I was young, because I was I, I'd like to think I wasn't like the average child. It was very much like a adult child, very much grown before I should be. Anyway, I remember one day having visited him and he lived quite far from where I was living in my, from from where I was located. The details are kind of fuzzy. I, I remember his house. I remember the sunlight. I remember him saying that if he leaves the doors open, baboons come in and like try and raid his kitchen. I was like, okay. It was a wonderful house that had a wonderful view um, in a very, yes, white neighborhood in South Africa. He was driving me home at the end of the day and the sun had already set as we were, I would say like an hour away from my, my home. And... What's very clear in my memory is me looking at the way the headlights would illuminate the trees and the rocks rushing by as we drive down this like winding mountainside road. Um, and he asked me something about a girlfriend. And I this man, I think fully knowing, like he knew that I was gay or that I leaned that way. And... My dialogue, I don't remember, but I do recall saying something around like, I'm not interested in all of that right now. And there was a bit of silence with the headlights, the trees, the rocks. And then he said, you know. Then I turned to him, looked at his profile. This bald man with his strong European nose. And though he didn't look at me at that moment, My mind conjures up his mischievous green eyes in this whole scenario. And then I hear him say, You're a different kind of person. You're the lone wolf. Now, I was barely 21 years old. Like, I had no dating experience because being different in a, yes, a capital city, Vinduk, you know, Namibia, but with a, very small town mentality meant that I was ridiculed by friends, family, peers, you know, whispers, you know, just all for being me, all for being alive, you know, you're a different kind of person. You're the lone wolf. And I think that moment that those words had real impact on me, had a real effect on me because it's still something that I remember so vividly. What does Maya Angelou say? People will remember how you made them feel. I remember I felt confused and it, it's so vivid yet vague in my memory, but his words were carved into my psyche. I think I had internalized what he said and then not knowing had, I guess, would have like built a belief system on that because it became part of like an unconscious set of rules that I have used to make sense of the world, kind of like separating myself from a lot of things, a lot of things that people do. Um, so this limiting belief that I have then, you know, subscribed to has its use, but also it's limited, you know, it's limited in that I uh, subconsciously subscribe to this belief system and then it affects, all my relationships whether it be platonic or um, romantic. It's as if I've been assigned the character of the lone wolf and the martyr and true to my Virgo nature. I have to do things the best I can. Like I just spoke about being obsessive about something. You know I have to go win that Oscar. You know I gotta be the lone wolf. Whose words cut to draw blood. I have to be the martyr. Who craves a sword to fall on. I have to give the best performance. Because I have to be the best all the time. And there's nothing wrong with being the best. It's just you know when you're excellent. You become unforgettable darling. Anyway. Um, yes it's time to, to stop. Writing that. Like, stop the chapter. Let's move on now and stop limiting myself. Not so that I can believe in life after love um, or for the attention or affection of a man, but rather to step more into my own. And having just ranted about being so obsessively me, um, I can hear you say, But Ivor, you're already so much you. To which I say, No, darling, I'm just the right amount. I am full of myself. And here's where I like to play around a little bit with like subversion of that phrase. You know how that's usually used as an insult? He's full of himself. But I've always asked like, how can I give of myself to someone, being friendship, being family, being um, relationship? How can I give of myself, give of my knowledge, give of my time, my lessons, my energy, if I am not full, if I am not enough to give? And then furthermore, when you are full of yourself, there's a gay joke in there somewhere. When you're full of yourself, it's the empty people who are the ones saying, oh, he's so full of himself. I don't like him. He's very full of himself. You know, it's the, it's the pint-sized people who can't even take what you have to give anyway. So what's the point in wasting your time around that type of energy? So I'm conflicted because sometimes I feel like I'm a bit much, And then at the same time, I love being it all so dramatic because it's fully me. I love it. Anyway, so after obsessively talking about myself, I want to talk about the gravitas, the weight of today's episode. And it is limited identity. And I have a limited understanding of of limited identity. But let's quickly clarify what limited identity is. Yes, welcome to the main stage, everybody. Miss clarification. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea why I'm so silly. I jump from silly to serious like a $2 hooker. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, um, limited identity. I'm going to use Satguru's concept of limiting identity. And it's heavily based on yogic philosophy. So we use like three parameters to help define limited identity. And those are memory, um, identity, and intellect. Now... Memory being like the accumulation of your life experiences that have like written your genetic code. Intellect being the conscious brain power you, let's like say you assume you have and lets you believe that you have some semblance of control over your life. Let's quickly talk about like intellect. Your intellect is like something that we all want to keep sharp, right? Because like You need to cut to kill or cut clever if you're going to survive. You need to eat. You need to to feed your body to be this representation of consciousness. Now, your intellect functions from the data your body is taking in from all your known senses all the time. You may not be aware of it, but your body is taking in information, data all the time. But if... And, you know, all this information, all this data is getting written into your memory the whole time. You may not be conscious of it. You may not like be able to actively recall it, but it is still being recorded. Here's the thing. If declining brain health were to impair or wipe out all your memory, even if you have intellect sharpened by the ghost of Albert Einstein himself, you would be unable to use that sharp tool without your memory yogic philosophy then goes on to detail how there are various dimensions of memory within us those you can perceive and those you can't hmm i just thought of something i need to i need to stop the car let me quickly digress i think the author of the science fiction novel dune got inspiration either from yogic or buddhist philosophy because There's this character who I was so enthralled by. This character that becomes hyper-conscious in the womb. She's like awakened to an elevated level of consciousness where she has experienced the memories of all the people in her past, all the women in her past lives, everything in her genetic code up until like the moment she's born. And then it cuts to her like when she's like four years old and the way she is as a four-year-old kid it's just insane shit. i need to read that book again just to like analyze that part okay let's get back into the car you best believe i drive a stick like only a gay man can okay so memory there are various um, uh dimensions of memory within us evolutionary memory has allowed you to be the being that you are right now If your DNA forgot in any way, forgot anything, then who knows? You might have been aborted. You might have been a fucking banana. I don't know. So what we know as myself is a product of a system of deeply complex memories, memories we can name evolutionary, genetic, karmic, and memories we can't even perceive. All these memories are providing data for your intellect to function in a specific way. Let me just say that again. All the memories, all these memories are providing data for your intellect to function in a specific way. Yogic philosophy continues to clarify that there is a dimension between this silo of memory and your sharp intellect, there's a bridge between these two and that is identity. How and with what you identify yourself with is how your intellect will interpret your identity. And it's how you will interpret the world. So, I'm going to try and see if I get this correct. Like, I as a mixed-race man who sashays around the halls in the home of sexual, identify with my memories of sexual and racial oppression jockstraps and britney spears choreography or i identify as the lone wolf because that memory of being gay in a small town feeling alone not necessarily lonely because that's not the same thing but feeling alone for like i would say the first 25 years of my life it has now become like a belief, an identity, like this data that I've collected is now an operating system by which my intellect is functioning and viewing the world. So whatever you identify with, your intelligence will only function in that way. And like a large part of our identities, we have no control over. They're determined by like the geographical coordinates at which you first drew breath, something you didn't have any choice over. Or maybe you did come through alan watts i need to listen to some more alan watts like yeah um your identity is is determined by education skin color social status single married wealthy believers non-believers and due to this system that you have no control over but still you think that you want to be unique but actually it's human nature that wants this identity to be part of someone else. Otherwise, we wouldn't be forming groups or, you know, um, fucking anyone. (sighs) Anyway, that was a mouthful, I think. Yeah. (laughs) All the things that we are identifying with are also limiting us. I think that's why people kill other people in the name of belief or in the name of their country. The men who believe that their skin color, their plot hole infested storybook by the Bible, have so strongly identified with those random arbitrary things that they have and continue to inflict heinous damage to the future memories of those who dare not identify in the same way. Um, I think that that's where my limitation lies with limited identity it's a concept that i've just learned but i think that when you get to that point of understanding limited identity that you that you are able to then transcend the limiting parameters and then maybe your intellect can function in a different way and perhaps maybe in a way that is more holistic to adding value or bringing joy to the lives of your fellow human being. Um, Because I do think that if you can, if your intelligence can transcend in that way, that maybe your mental health may also be something that you are able to take care of in like better or more naturally. But based off of this yogic philosophy, I think my fixations on especially race and religion are limiting my identity. Uh, the identity that allows my intellect to source memories is quite narrow. Oh, shit. Is that, is that where the idea of narrow-mindedness comes from? Hmm. Okay, well, yeah. (laughs) Um, okay, we're gonna stop the car. Yeah. I had a lot of fun playing with the stick, but it's time to pull over, okay? Okay. So I think I'd like to leave you with just a question that you can ponder. Like, what are your belief systems? And what do you have that is limiting your identity? All right. I hope I wasn't too rough on you all. I hope that was enough lube. Um, I tried to go slow, but, you know, I couldn't help myself. It's my sincere hope that you've learned something new, maybe laughed a little Um, cringed a little, gained some clarification while listening to me, your favorite gay. This week, my mental health tip I can give you since it's Pride Month and Juneteenth is on the way, is to be a rainbow in someone else's life whenever you feel your life sucks. Like any small act of kindness, be it randomly complimenting a stranger, or leaving a banana on a co desk. Something small to someone who has nothing can mean everything. Thank you so much everyone for listening. If you like this episode, please, please, please share it with a friend. Rate and review it on whatever platform that you are listening to. Your podcasts. And um, yeah, drink your water. Bye-bye.